listening to the Blooming Inspired Podcast Network. We exist to empower the voices of women who live their lives blooming alive through podcast community. Now, here is your host. Accidental Hope, a place where we seek hope and build community after a serious accident or trauma. Hello friends, welcome to Accidental Hope. I am your host, Jennifer. This is a place where we seek hope and build community after a serious accident or trauma with a faith perspective. We are hope seekers. Let us open our heart and receive the message we have for today. Thank you for joining. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and I have to tell you, I'm pretty super excited. Dr. Marianne Gray is the founder of Accidental Impacts, and she made a huge impact on my life, and I know many, many people out there, especially caddies, um, see her as kind of our pioneer, and so I hope that you can welcome her. She is a former UCLA administrator, social psychologist. She's currently researching researching for caddies right now, and so she's coming to us from Santa Monica, California, and y'all, if you can tell it, I'm just nervous and excited, so please welcome Marianne. Thank you so much for uh, being here, Dr. Gray. I'm excited to have Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, is there anything that I left out about, you know, who you are, you know, what you do? Uh, you did a great job with the intro. I could add that I, too, am a caddy, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that. Yes, and so you also coined that term. So that's another another thank you. Every, every caddy that I meet and I tell them that acronym, they're like, oh, yes, you know, if they haven't heard it before, because that's so much nicer. And when we say caddy, and that means causing accidental death or injury. And Mary Ann coined that term. And I'm so grateful because I, it's so much softer than accidental killer. Yes. You want to start there? How did you come up with that term? Well, I think one of the challenges that those of us who have unintentionally killed or injured someone have is we have a very poor vocabulary for talking about these issues. And one aspect of that, there are other aspects, but what big aspect is we don't even have a name or a phrase for who we are. And media does tend to say accidental killer. And to me, that sounded really overwrought and dramatic and painful. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to find something that was descriptive and maybe a little more clinical. So I came up with Caddy and it seems to have stuck for, at least for people who are using the website. Oh, I love it. And that website is accidentalimpacts.org. And it was truly a lifeline for me when I found it. And you're right with the verbiage. I still, to this day, and maybe you have something that I haven't found that you've written. The man that I hurt, his name was David. And I struggled really hard. Like I felt so connected to him. And then I was very confused was he my victim, you know, and uh, I knew he was the victim, but was he my victim? And, and I didn't understand how to explain because when I would start talking about the situation, and I'd say his name, then people would just, well, did you know him? They would obviously, because I'm grieving and uh, distraught, they'd say, well, do you know him? And I'd say, no, I didn't know how to explain that connection, like that word, you know, that I feel like that needs to have a... Don't really have... A good word. I I do tend to use victim. I think for me personally, that works 
but we again it, it's that lack of a comfortable vocabulary that makes talking about an already difficult situation even more difficult right well i think because of the connection that most people or the applied knowledge that they have to the word victim it looks violent it feels violent it feels uh premeditated it, it feels all those things and then we're a different situation you know but that's true that's a really good point yes i wanted to talk to you about the website and just ask you what the vision is for for accidental impacts and i know that it got a redesign and it's beautiful i can see that you're working hard on it it looks wonderful it's so user friendly and i love that it incorporates not only resources but you know books and articles and you know the podcast that you find even the stories and that's huge having a place for people to come to to have a voice is just amazing. So talk to us a little the website. When I had my accident over 40 years ago, I was a graduate student. I was in my 20s living in rural Ohio, and I was driving down a country road one day, and an eight-year-old boy ran in front of my car. He just darted into the street. I hit him, and he died before he reached the hospital. For many years, I didn't talk about that accident. I believed it was best kept secret for all kinds of reasons. And the result of that was a lot of loneliness on my part and a sense of separation from other people, a lot of kind of irrational thinking and beliefs that took root because there was nobody to challenge them or point out to me that uh, maybe there was another way to consider my situation. So when I finally got into uh, psychotherapy and started to address the effects that that accident had on me and how it shaped my life, I realized that all that secrecy had been so toxic and so damaging and so lonely. Mm -hmm. Creating the website was something I did largely for myself as part of my own healing and reaching out to others because I don't want other people to have to have the experience that I had. And as, as you know, Jen, from the website, I really believe that we... Uh, I don't, again, a vocabulary problem. Do we heal from these accidents or recover? I don't know what the verb is. But I think part of the process of making peace with ourselves mm -hmm. is doing our best to make the world a better place. Yes. To honor the person who died or was injured and everyone who suffered, including us, in the choices we make. And so for me, the choice I made was to start a website for the many thousands and thousands of people who are had similar experiences. And I said, you know, I'll put it out in the universe and people can find their way or not. If there's a need, I believe people can find it. Yeah. And they have, and it's just grown and grown and grown and now probably about a hundred people a day, different people a day visit the website 
And whenever I do media, if I have my name in the newspaper or something, I get thousands of people visiting the site. So the need is out there and... And you're the only one in the world. I mean, you were the first one in the world that I could find. I think something dedicated to this. I think that Accidental Impact's website was the first and largely, I think, remains the only website or resource really dedicated to people who have unintentionally killed or injured another person. But that's starting to change. And we have more and more people getting involved and sharing their story and stepping up to support other people. And this podcast is a great example of that. Well, it's because of your courage that, that you really did. You passed the torch. I, I did. I, I think I just told you. I, I thought when I was in therapy, and I've said this, if you're a listener, you've probably heard me say this before. So just ignore me. But Marianne maybe hasn't heard it. So I'm going to tell her. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I was on, I was on my, the couch in, in my session. And I was very angry that day in that session. My anger was that we have all these resources available. You know, we have the internet. We have a way to connect with people. We have books on how to grieve your pet. We have books on every, everything that you can think of, but you don't have this subject. It's so taboo. That's right. That's it's, right. And there was nothing. And, and as a teacher, I'm an educator as well, you know, and I just was angry that there wasn't. And I hadn't found your website, obviously, yet. And my therapist looked at me and he said, Jennifer, maybe there will be now. Like, if this is something you're passionate about, take your pain and make it purposeful. Mm-hmm. And, and I couldn't at that point. My first thought was, well, then anytime there's an accident with fatality, you just call me. And he just nodded like, okay. Because <laughs> I thought that meant, you know, literally I thought I was going to be like in a car, you know, and drive to a scene and help the other driver, let them know and just hug them, you know, if they were in the area, anywhere in Texas, you know, I was willing to go. Um, you know, that that's really <laughs> what I thought at first and he just listened to me bless his heart that never really occurred you know but that's what I thought it was that immediate touch of just being able to hug someone else because we all need community and I think that's what when I see the forums and you hear the different even though you kind of experience your own little trauma and I did feel you know I remember feeling waves of anxiety in some ways but also relief at the same time it's it's kind of weird to say I found someone else. Mm-hmm. They killed someone too on accident. Oh my gosh, you know, and you feel this connection, but it's a very odd thing to feel connected to somebody about, but it's, there it is, you know. It's one of those clubs no one wants to join. No, no, it's never going to be a badge of honor or something that can be glorified. But like you said, right. and I say this so, I say it timidly, but I did. I suffered, too. My children suffered, too. My family suffered, too. And oh. that's so scary to say that, that admit that, that I have a right to suffer, like I matter. I, I, I really struggled with that for a long time. Like, how dare I? How dare I ask for help? How dare I experience these feelings because I'm not the one who lost a loved one? I, I really dealt with that. Did you ever deal with that? Or 
Definitely. And that was a big part of my decision to um, not talk about the accident. I told myself that I was not the victim, that the little boy and his family were the victims. Um, I told myself that I had no right to impose my pain and my feelings and my needs on other people. And that part of my punishment or response should be bearing the pain of that accident by myself. I'll note it was mostly a way to punish myself, but it also was a way to protect myself because if I didn't tell anybody, nobody could blame me or define me as tragic or pitiable or blameworthy. So there was an element of protection in there, but mostly it was to punish myself. I still believe that the little boy named Brian and his family are, you know, they, they suffered tremendously. Their lives were never the same. Mm-hmm. And it was, I did, I did that to them. I did that. But I also, I, I definitely was traumatized by the experience and suffered what we would call today uh, moral injury. Mm-hmm. And I think most caddies do, certainly many do, and I think that's evidence of our caring and humanity. It shows that, you know, we care about people. This happened. We'll regret it forever. We'll feel terrible about it forever. But we do care, and we, we have held on to our humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's a great source of strength moving forward with the healing process. Oh, yeah. And like you said, I think sharing it and finding the community and, you know, trying to help the next person up, you know, as you move up in your healing or wisdom or revelation, sharing that on and passing the torch a little bit. I want to make sure we come back to moral injury because it's fascinating and there isn't enough research on that as well. I was just thinking about what you had said as far as, oh goodness, it's going to leave me. We'll just go with moral injury and maybe it'll come back in uh, into the thought. But moral injury, and that affects your soul. And I saw that you put a tweet out there uh, recently about the soul. And, and a moral injury is that where your soul is, is actually damaged. I read, I read this, and I don't have the exact statistic, but when you are under the influence, say you are under the influence and you have an accident, you are less likely to develop PTSD. You're, you're less likely to, because you weren't aware of all the things when they, when the actual cute, now you can still have guilt and trauma, you know, but mm-hmm. the actual memory of it is changed because you're under the influence and that you're more likely to develop some of those things when you're completely aware. And I believe that something happens neurologically to the brain in the, in the midst of that trauma, almost like it fractures you, but it has to do with the brain, but I believe it has to do with the spirit and the soul. What have you found in your research about moral injury? Is there anything you want to touch on? Because there isn't a lot of discussion about this yet, but I believe it's coming. Yeah, we desperately need more research on moral injury, now, it, which overlaps with, but is distinct from PTSD. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, 
is an official diagnosis in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, the Bible of therapists and clinicians. And there's been a tremendous amount of research over the last, say, three or four decades on PTSD um, since it became an official diagnosis. Uh, much of that research is very good, and we know a great deal about how it develops, who develops it, how it's manifested, and fortunately, different treatments. We know far less about moral injury. That's a concept uh, that emerged primarily with clergy and secondarily with therapists and counselors in their work with veterans. Mm -hmm. And they observed that there are people who maybe have not been subject to combat themselves, but nonetheless suffered. And that's really like someone who flew a drone, for instance. And that's how it started. And, and adding to that was the sense that PTSD does not, is not a complete description of the experience of say a combat veteran in, in all cases. So PTSD is generally considered to be fear-based, where moral injury is kind of conscience-based. It's guilt and shame. And shame. Mm -hmm. um, Regret. And we feel moral injury when we transgress against our own moral beliefs and values, when our behavior doesn't match what we believe to be morally good and right behavior can also get moral injury from observing injustice. But for our purposes today, we're really talking about moral injury that we experience based on our own behavior and our own actions. And even though they were unintentional, we still were the agent of somebody's suffering or death. And for many of us, that is such a departure from how we choose to live our lives and what we believe to be the right way to live, um, to be kind, to be caring, to be careful, that moral injury becomes a very big part of the reaction. Um, one of the ways people respond to moral injury, a lot of the response looks like PTSD, depression, anger, but a big part of moral injury is withdrawal. We pull away from other people. We don't feel like we deserve the company of other people, or we just can't manage to find that connection. Um, or we're afraid that we're going to be rejected, so we pull away first. And that adds to the loneliness that so many people feel after any kind of trauma. Um, including a traffic accident or another kind of accident, and and really creates layers of complexity in right. coping and recovering. I feel, and I don't want to talk out of turn, but I do feel like this is one of the most complex human uh, events that we can come to. Alice Gregory said it; she believes it's more like a modern tragedy. Because she, um, when she was researching for the article, she went back and tried to look up, you know, just 
events from different centuries or different philosophers trying to talk about this and she couldn't find anything and she feels like the reason why we haven't caught up to it is because it is a modern day tragedy very few there were less it was less frequent you know because we do have guns we do have vehicles we do have trains we do have um more allergies you know if you accidentally bring peanuts and there's anaphylactic shock in a classroom i mean there there are just things that we have these days that there there wasn't as much and, and funny enough that was the thing that fluttered out of my brain a minute ago uh, it was about alice and because i was going to tell you that i withdrew I'm a very bubbly person, kind of like what you would see now. I think I was even more outgoing and I didn't because I was this without the trauma of who I am now. And then when the accident occurred, I shut down. I wanted to be in my room. I didn't want to go out. It Going to the grocery store was overwhelming. Talking at church, I didn't want to tell my name. I was afraid of my own name. Um, I didn't speak about it, even with very few people I didn't share. To this day, there's only a few people that know the exact events of that night. You know, I didn't share a lot of the inner feelings or things with a lot of people. How you also impacted me was that I saw the Alice uh, Gregory thing on your website that said, hey, she's looking for people willing to tell their story. And I emailed her. And I was one of the people she wrote back and interviewed, you know, I felt so comfortable with her telling her all the things. Like I literally, when we finished the conversation, I was like, whoa, I just told you all the things that only my therapist knows. Like, <laughs> like my husband doesn't even know everything that we just, I literally locked myself in a closet to talk to her that day. Wow. And so she was privy to some raw emotions that nobody else had heard. What's interesting is that when we got off that phone call, I felt like I had just a weight, a different weight, because it felt like the therapist, that's a relationship that, you know, goes through insurance, you know, that's his job, you know, but this was like almost not friend, but it was, it was someone who heard my story and accepted me and didn't judge me for my story. Right. That's so powerful. It was. I didn't know it would be. And it was like a glimmer of me coming back. It was like it's like a stripped off a layer to where the old me a little bit was there. And right. I think that's where I was like, okay, I need to process this. <laughs> this is how this is better than stuffing it. So that was about like seven, eight months after the accident for me. So I just got that a little bit sooner that, oh, you know what? I need to process this out loud. That's way less toxic than what I was doing inside. Right. So I was just grateful that I had that opportunity a little, you know, and again, through your website, um, or I would have never had that opportunity had I not found that. But I'll yeah, just say, you know, it, there's a real power in sharing our story and being accepted or seen or heard, as you said, and not judged. So I often say that secrecy is toxic, but I also um, wanna say that the opposite of secrecy is not indiscriminate sharing. It's not telling everybody anytime 
what happened or, you know, just spilling the secret or spilling the story. It's really exercising discretion because some people and some settings are not safe and it's not appropriate to open up about our personal tragedies. Um, but I think most of us have really good intuition about who's safe, what's a safe setting, who's a safe person. And it and, takes time. It takes, right. I think it takes right. a trial and error actually where you're like, whoa, I gave too much. I just vomited emotion all over this person. So sorry that I did that, you know, and reeling it back in, learning where yeah. to share and what to share. To share. And starting in a therapist's office is really the safest place for most people because there's confidentiality and there's a professional there who's trained on how to respond. And yet the compassion and the relationship is real. It's not feigned. So for people who are listening who are keeping any trauma a secret, I would encourage them to think about whether that's serving them mm. and who they could share with perhaps a psychotherapist, um, maybe a clergy, maybe a really, really close friend. But where is it safe to begin to open up and allow themselves to be seen? Oh, that's so good. Having your voice is so powerful. Um, I'll come back to what we were talking about when I interrupted you with my thought. <laughs> okay. Yeah, another one of those gifts from the accident, too. Um, you were talking about moral injury, and we were talking about how they overlap, but they're different with PTSD. And what is interesting is when I was kind of going through my feelings and, and sorting them out, I was like, you know, I have survivor's guilt which I feel is separate but similar and it overlaps. I wish it was me. I had, I had uh, you know, thoughts of, you know, the suicidal ideation and that's that not being worthy, you know, of life because he didn't get that choice. It, it, it's really, that's why I feel like this is one of the most complex emotions or situations that anyone can go through. Because whether you know the person or not, um, you have suddenly these very complex things like you know it they're isolated but they're all together it's almost like a spectrum kind of like when you start studying autism spectrum there's a spectrum of things and it it really does have um encompasses a lot of different complex emotions and they're all they're all in this big chaotic soup inside mm -hmm. you the veterans kind of pioneered that the ones that had the courage to say hey I'm not okay I'm different coming back from war um, something's wrong you know and and putting that voice to hey we need to listen to our soldiers and take care of them and and now here we are this modern day tragedy and we're saying wait you we're we are here there mm -hmm. is something to be said right here this is happening more and more and and we need to be heard. We're, we're, we're in a place where our trauma occurs every day and it's visual. You know, we can see our trauma. We don't, it's not a war, you know, obviously, but we, we are living our life and boom, we are, uh, you know, like yesterday I wrote to you, I came upon an accident yesterday and I was triggered. Oh, sure. I was just having a great day on my way to get my daughter. And then suddenly, and I thought to myself, thank you, Lord, that I was running late 
because I had intended to be about 20 minutes sooner. I was running about 20 minutes behind. But if I had that, I would have come up right as that accident was happening. And, you know, the scene told the story. It was all the troops, uh, troops, troopers. There was about maybe a dozen troopers, all the cars blocked off. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, all the, the cars that blocked off the accident scene. And I'm looking at all of them in their uniform and I'm seeing the bicycle on the ground. And of course the people who are involved are gone. Thankfully the ambulance had already came, but they're processing the scene. And there I am, there I am back at my scene. Sure. Sitting that's there. A, yeah, that's the nature of trauma. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, it's interesting that you are seeing more and more people come out of the shadows. And I, and I wondered, now that you, you said you've been 40 years since your accident, which you give me hope, too. I mean, just let me just tell you, when I see, okay, you've, you've, you've felt this weight, you've carried this burden for 40 years, and you're still standing. <laughs> that gave me hope. I'm not even joking. Like, it was like, okay. It was one of those psychological, like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you see, I don't, I've, I've never experienced cancer. I mean, my, my family has, you know, my grandmother. But when you see a survivor and then you're entering treatment and you're like, they did it. They got through the chemo. They, they got through losing their hair. They fought. They're okay. They're in remission. That gives you a source of strength. And when you share you've survived 40 years, it gives other people who are entering into, you know, it's only been three years for me. I'm still a baby at this. I'm still learning. It's very recent. Yeah. And it doesn't, it feels very recent and it feels a long time. You know, it's really strange where it's like, oh my gosh, it's been three years. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's been three years. It's that thing where you have this seasoned, or I want to say like hindsight that some of us don't have. And could you speak on maybe some of the phases that you have or the seasons that you, now that you've had space from your trauma that, that you could address? Um, sure. Sure. I've, I think there are kind of three big clumps of work in um, making our peace with becoming a caddy they're not necessarily phases or stages because they don't go in order. They kind of run or wrap around each other. Uh, and one week, one will be in the forefront, another week or month or year, a different one will be in the forefront. The first of these is what I call the emotional piece. And that's really, and, and that's not an entirely accurate label because what I'm really talking about is trauma and post-traumatic Stress is not just emotional, it's also physical and cognitive, as you know. So, so we'll call that first chunk dealing with post-traumatic stress. And that the emotions that accompany that can be very overwhelming and distressing. In addition, it can be difficult to think. Uh, concentration is lessened. Um, as you just pointed out, memory. we have intrusive images and memories that get in the way of our just day-to-day functioning and tasks. And physically, there are um, negative 
reactions as well, like uh, exaggerated startle response. So we have a lot of adrenaline floating around our bodies, difficulty sleeping, difficulty eating. When do those go away? <laughs> they do go away. I and know. I think they go away. Um, it, it's not like one day, it's not like it just is less and less and less and then it's gone. It's not linear. Yeah. Sometimes they're completely gone and other times they're barely noticeable and other times, oh, there they are again. I think it's very helpful to work with a trauma therapist, someone who uh, is trained to treat PTSD because there are very effective treatments and that can help. It's also helpful to educate ourselves about PTSD because it feels very out of control. It can even feel crazy or having these images or flashbacks or memories or trouble thinking, we think, am I going nuts? No, this is what psychologists call a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. This is what people experience and what people go through. It doesn't mean you're going crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and treatment can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. So that's the first chunk. The second chunk is uh, what I've called wrestling with responsibility. And that would encompass not just moral injury, but the whole set of questions and issues around what actually happened, what's my contribution. When we say, when I say I caused a child's death, what does that really mean? It doesn't mean that I am morally responsible for mm -hmm. a child running into the road although for many years I felt morally responsible. And the truth is I'll never know if someone else might have seen that little boy coming and somehow swerved or stopped or avoided tragedy in a way that I was not able to. Mm -hmm. um, so that will be a question forever. Uh, so, so in some ways when I say I caused a child's death, what I'm really talking about is a kind of scientific or you know just a factual causality yes my car did some terrible damage and i was at the wheel of that car so i think there's a complicated process of thinking about what we're responsible for really and the degree to which we're responsible mm -hmm. i think people caddies make mistakes of, Everybody makes um, mistakes. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Over-attributing or mm -hmm. under-attributing. Um, we, we blame ourselves or we don't blame ourselves enough sometimes. So there's a complicated process of sorting that out. People who um, did not intend to hurt or kill someone, but did so when they were under the influence or distracted or in a rage or just not lacking a skill set or physically compromised in some way. It's really important to take a look at that so that behavior could be adjusted for the future. Mm -hmm. So a caddy who was under the influence say and had a car accident, I believe needs to get into treatment or the or whatever healing and recovery needs to take place will be incomplete. Mm -hmm. Or needs to get sober. Right. Often that means treatment, but needs to get sober. Um, somebody who had an incident of road rage needs to 
learn why they're so angry and how they could rein that in or better cope with their feelings. And we could go on down that list. That's part of responsibility. The other part is acknowledging where our personal control is limited. It's scary to acknowledge mm -hmm. that we have very limited control over the universe. Mm -hmm. um, we can't control whether someone's gonna run into the street. We don't control the weather. We don't control the road conditions. Right. Um, it's sorting that out. And the other part of wrestling with responsibility is dealing with moral injury, which I think you and I have talked about now. That's all the time we have for today. Please come back next week and finish up this conversation I have with Marianne Gray. It's so delightful, and everything that she says, there's so much wisdom in it. So remember, seek hope and share it. Something inside of you someone else needs to hear. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Accidental Hope Podcast on the Blooming Inspired Podcast Network. This show airs on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. To learn more about this podcast, its network, or the Ministry of Blooming Inspired Network, please visit bloominginspirednetwork.com and click the podcast link at the top of the page.